This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. And we believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. As I look across the auditorium this morning, I'm seeing a few visitors and, and family members. We want to say welcome to you. So happy that you've come out today. I'm excited because I have my favorite uncle, and I can say that. My favorite uncle here with me uh, today, all the way from Hinesville, Georgia, my uncle Otis. Uh, I call him Brother Uncle because uh, he's not that much older than me, and people confuse us for brothers sometimes, but I'm so thankful that, uh, that he's here with us today. And for all the rest of our visitors and family members and friends that have come out, welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Was it good? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Okay, all right. All right, I hope your turkey and your ham and your macaroni and cheese and cranberry sauce, it was all good, okay. Very, very good. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful time. And, and as we get ready to transition now into this new season, I want you to let, let you know that today the Christian church begins what is known as Advent, right? So this is the Advent season. As we get ready to move into the month of December and we start talking about the second coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ. So this is an exciting time and it's a tiring time because as I look across the auditorium this morning, some of y'all look a little tired from all the festivities. So I don't have too long of a sermon uh, this morning, but you guys bear with me as we get ready con to conclude uh, our series this morning. Before I begin, thank you, thank you, Brother Ed, for leading us in worship and for Glenn, those wonderful communion thoughts and for all our Bible class teachers and, and shepherds and deacons and servants here. Thank you for all you do for making this church special. So today, as you know, we are, we are concluding our sermon series on the book of 1 John. And next Sunday, like I said, we'll transition into the Advent series where we talk about the second coming or the arrival uh, of Jesus. But before we get there, I want to do a review just in case you weren't with us for the entire month of November of what we've been studying so that you can get caught up and, and kind of see where we are. So uh, we've been looking at the book of First John. And the book of First John has five chapters, and we've been spending uh, one Sunday on each chapter, and today we are closing out. So in part one, in review, week one, we spend our time, and John talks about how to walk in the light and how to remain purified as Christians through this wonderful spiritual discipline called confession. In part two, we, we talked about the importance of not loving the world or anything in the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, is what Scripture says. In part three, we learned from John how to love one another. And last week in part four, we discussed the importance of testing the Spirit. And I appreciate Skeeter uh, writing us on Facebook and saying, Jason has glasses on. Are we supposed to trust him? I don't know. Um, so we talked about the importance of testing the spirit, and I told you not to trust anybody who wears glasses indoors. Amen. But it's another topic. Today, in part five, we are going to close with looking at chapter five, where John talks about the importance of faith in Jesus Christ. The importance of having faith in Jesus Christ. So I got to tell you real quick what 
I and my family and I were able to experience this this past weekend. So I don't know about you, but I had a very busy weekend, and I'm sure many of you did as well. Uh, we had our memorial service here for our dear sister, uh, Nita Nelson. I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful service. Sherilyn, uh, I, it was just awesome. So thank you for everybody who was able to attend. But then after that, I hopped in the car along with my family, and we drove up to the Bay Area. We did Thanksgiving, and then my sister got married that Friday, okay? And I was in charge of the wedding uh, ceremony. And... I knew it was going to be a tough challenge to try to pull this thing off because there wasn't a lot of prep time. We didn't get to do a rehearsal. And my sister met a man, um, which is now my brother-in-law, named Roxy, and he is from the Congo. So he didn't speak English uh, very well. So it was all of this kind of meshed together really quickly. And, and, and my mom was nervous. They were running around trying to get things squared away. And I looked at my dad, and I've never seen my dad so scared. My dad has preached here. He's not a silent man. But the entire weekend, he was just looking like this. And I said, Dad, what's going on? He's just, I'm thinking about all the money that's just being spent right now. He just couldn't. I looked at him. And then on top of that, he said, you know, I'm worried about my daughter. I'm worried about my daughter. And, and, and the reason that I'm worried about my daughter is because we don't know Roxy too well. But he is a Christian. We, we know he's a Christian. And I know he loves Nicole. And I know he is going to take care of her. And, and I remember talking to my dad. He said, he said, you know what? The reason I'm able to go through this process, and for you fathers who have daughters that have been married, you can probably identify and empathize with this. He said, the reason I'm okay going through this process is because I have faith that everything's going to work out. I have faith. I trust in God. I trust my daughter, and I trust the man that she is going to marry. I have faith that it's all going to work out. And I thought that was so powerful. Because faith, through that comment here from my dad, lets us know that even in the midst of difficulties and complications and high emotion, that everything is going to work out and it's going to be okay. And that's what the Apostle John gets to in 1 John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles this morning, he begins to open up with the importance of, of, having, of having faith. So, Mike, you put up that first slide for me, but before we get to this first slide, I just want to read a couple of passages of Scripture. So we'll look at verses 1 through 5, and then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this text here. So you guys follow along with me, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands, look at this, underline this, are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So as we look at this text, I just want to give you some background as we hop into uh, chapter, chapter 5. The Apostle John in chapter 5, remember, is writing to a largely Gentile audience. And 
traveling missionaries would take his letters and distribute them to the local churches in the region and they would read these letters this largely gentile audience and and he lets them know that look you know being a christian is not a burdensome thing as a matter of fact being a christian or living as a christian is a blessing and you'll receive blessings in your life because of it it's not hard to follow the commandments of God. They're simple. He doesn't make them that difficult. However, the problem is life is hard. And life is full of problems and difficulties and tragedy and pain and sickness and cancer and death and so forth and so on. Life is full of problems. But what the scripture tells me here in verse number four, but for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So this lets me know that our faith helps us to overcome problems in the world. We were staying at the Hilton Hotel in uh, San Francisco and Union Square and outside of the Hilton Hotel is a large homeless population and the reason they camp outside of the Hilton Hotel is because they think that typically people who stay at the Hilton Hotel have a little bit of money so they have the homeless population lined up along the side of the sidewalk begging for money many of them crippled without a leg or without an arm uh, some of them out of their minds screaming at the top of their lungs and and I look at the world and I say the world is full of problems full of issues but again, for those of us with faith, faith helps us to overcome the problems of the world. So how, practically, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a couple of points or pointers on how I think our faith helps us overcome the world. Okay, so this is just some practical information for you. How does our faith help us overcome? Well, I think through faith in Jesus Christ, we understand and know that God has the power to intervene in difficult situations that we find ourselves in. Can you guys identify with that? Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know how you were going to make it, how you were going to get through, and you prayed and you prayed and you saw God intervene and come through in a very, very powerful way? You see, when you're a Christian or you have faith in Jesus Christ, God often intervenes in life's problems. And that's a huge, huge blessing. And we ought to be thankful for that one. Amen. Amen. So I, we pray for sick people and we see sick people get healed or we pray for pregnant mothers who have children's in, children in their womb that are not developing properly and we pray and we see the child come out okay or you've been in a situation where you hadn't been able to make it financially and God comes through. It's powerful. God intervenes for the Christian. And that's why I wish and hope and pray that all our family members and all our friends would be Christian. Amen? Because God intervenes for us and he takes care of us, and he looks out for us. Being a Christian is awesome. What else? How does our faith help us overcome? Well, through our faith, God often gives us power as well. Did you not know that as a Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you? So when it comes to life's problems, God gives you a divine and powerful strength, and sometimes you just don't even know where it comes from, amen? 
How can you be that strong in the midst of this trial or in the midst of this situation? Well, it's because God has given you the power to get through it. And I think about people who would, my family, who have overcome horrible addictions in their lives. And as I talk to some of my family members and friends, and they have other issues as well, they say, you know what? It was only through the power of God working in me that I was able to overcome what I was going through. And you see, our faith helps us to do that if you're a faithful Christian. And lastly, what is our faith? How does our faith help us to overcome? Well, our faith reminds us that we have a better home prepared, right? Even in this world that's full of problems and difficulties and hardships and situations, I I think about my grandmother. My grandmother is struggling through Alzheimer's right now. My grandmother's a faithful, faithful, strong Christian. And when I see my grandmother... Uh, last time I went out, Uncle Otis, Grandma had a smile on her face. And you know what Grandma said? Grandma said, pray for me. And she would smile, pray for me. And that's my grandma. And why is she like that? Well, she knows she has a better place. This, this stuff that we're going through is only temporary. Only temporary. Our faith lets us know that whatever we're going through here in the flesh is only temporary. And we got something much better prepared in, in the future anyway. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. This is the confidence we have in him. Approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. It's powerful. And I, I highlighted a couple of words because a couple of the words jump out to me. Uh, in, in God, in our faith in God, we have, we have confidence. We have confidence. And we know that we can ask him anything. And if it's according to his will, uh, some of the uh, King James translations and other translations says, he'll give us what we ask for. Can you believe that? Right? And in trying to explain this concept to my children, you know, Izzy was like, wow, so God's like a genie. I said, well, it doesn't kind of work like that, okay? God's not our our, our personal genie where we can ask him for whatever he wants, and we snap our fingers, and he says, pow, there you go. Be nice if he worked like that, right? What would you ask for? Right? But he's not a personal genie. And oftentimes, when we put our petitions up before him, he says no. Have you ever been there before where God said no? Or you felt like he didn't answer your prayer? I have a friend up in Sacramento. His name is Glenn. His brother was diagnosed with uh, cancer uh, when he was about 16 years old. And this family is a faithful, faithful family. Members of the Church of Christ, faithful, faithful, strong people. Their grandfathers and elders, so forth and so on. This young boy picked up cancer at 16 years old. The church was fervently praying for him every single day. His parents were praying for him every single day. The elders of the church came, laid their hands on him, anointed his head with oil, prayed for him every single day. He still passed away of cancer. And we go, God, we we asked. We prayed and you said, if we pray and approach you, and it has to be your will that he lives, but yet this, this didn't work. It didn't happen that way. Well, we learned that it wasn't God's will for him to be healed and to continue living here in this flesh. And as I talked to my friend's mother, she says, you know what? 
my son passing was probably the biggest, it sounds weird, the biggest blessing for my family. And I said, how can you say that? She said, because his life caused other people in my family to become Christians. And I thought that was powerful how she could find some hope and some joy even in the midst of her sorrow and in her son's passing. But guess what? If we ask according to God's will, we get whatever we want. That sound right? No, it doesn't sound right, does it? But follow along with me. Here we go. So the scripture says that if we ask according to his will, that we have what we ask for from him, and it's powerful. So the question that you should be asking in your head, some very practical things is, well, how can I, how can I ask God according to his will often, right? I mean, that's what I did when I was thinking about this text. How can I pray within God's will so that if I pray within God's will, I know that the things that I ask for will, will come true? So how do, we, how do we pray according to God's will? How do we know if we're in alignment with God's will? Well, here, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, points that you can write down, and this may help you. It kind of helped me as I was thinking through it. Um, how do we know that what we're asking for is in accordance with God's will? Well, here's point number one. Here's how we can, how we can pray or find out. First, ask yourself the question, is what I'm praying for a need or a want, right? And all of us will say, well, we're praying for our needs. Sometimes we aren't, and we don't realize it. Is what we're praying for a need or a want? You see, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I wasn't growing as fast as my peers. Can you believe that? I know that's hard to believe, right? So I was like four seven, four eight, you know, like in the sixth grade. It was awkward. So I remember every day praying for height, praying for height, praying for height. And you could tell God answered my prayers, didn't he? Because I'm super tall now, right? Super tall. But you know, God didn't answer that. He didn't honor that, right? I even prayed for my hair, and that's gone too. It's just, it just not working for me, right? But is what I was praying for his will or was it my will? Was it a want that I, that I had for myself or was it? His design, right? So are what, is what we're praying for, is it our will? Is it a need or a want? What, what is it? And we have, to, we have to figure that out, and that's a good way to test it. What are we praying for? Is it for us? Is it a need or is it a want? Point number two is this. When you pray and you don't get what you ask for, how is your faith after that? Have you been there before? You're praying and God says No. Or you're praying and God doesn't answer that prayer the way you want it to. How's your faith in that? You know, we teach our kids, you can ask for things, but you may not get it. And if they go off pouting, what do, what do parents do? You better cut that out. You better be lucky that you have something to eat. Amen. That's what I do with my kids, right? Maybe you, you're not that harsh, but you're lucky that you even have that, right? So how is our faith after we pray and we don't receive? Are we still thankful? Or do we go... God didn't give us what I want. I don't know how. Lord, what are you thinking? Right? No, we don't do that. We say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. May the Lord's will be done. Amen? And then lastly is this. How else do we know if what we're asking for is according to God's will? Is what you're asking for for you, or is it for others, or is it for both? I think oftentimes the Lord blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other people. Right? So sometimes if we're praying, we know we're in accordance with God's will because what we're praying for is for the betterment or blessings of other, other people. 
But oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, I often pray just for my own situation and what I got going on in my head and what's happening. But I'm not, I'm not thinking that, you know, God may have another purpose or plan or a different will. So we've got to make sure that we're asking according to his will. And I think those are a couple of ways that kind of, kind of help us figure out whether or not we're doing that. I'm almost done here. First John chapter 5, verse number 16. Uh, says this, and this is a really interesting passage. Took me a while uh, to kind of exegete this and flesh this out and figure out what's going on here. But it says this, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, huh? he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Huh? There's a sin that leads to death. What? I'm not saying that he should pray about that. What? <laughs> I don't know if it's you guys, but as I was reading this, I was like, what is going on here? You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, John is talking to this largely Gentile audience, telling them to have faith and to remain strong and then faithful. And then he says here that there's some sins that lead to death. But then we shouldn't pray about the ones that lead to death because, huh, what, what is going on here, right? So we have to flush this out and figure this out. A brother commits a sin that leads to death. Huh. Doesn't scripture say that we can repent from sin and God will forgive us, but there are some sins that lead to death? So what is, what is this talking about? Let's go to this next slide, Mike, and I'll try to, try to flesh this out a little bit. What John is saying, look, is that there are some sins that, that lead to a spiritual death, okay? And maybe even a physical death. That's what he's talking about here, right? So how do we reconcile this? How do we work this out? How do we flesh this out? Well, the first sin that, in my opinion, I was looking at commentators that, that lead to a spiritual death is apostasy, right? Which means if you are a faithful Christian person and you've been saved and you've been forgiven of your sins and then you continue to live a lifestyle contrary to the will of God, the scripture says that's like a, a pig returning to its own mire once again and you have fallen away. The scripture says you have fallen away. That's apostasy. That's a spiritual death. And some people find themselves in that position. So that's a sin that leads to death, apostasy. Well, what else? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read that passage in scripture? Where it says blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, right? That's a, a sin that leads to, leads to immediate death, right? What does that mean? Well, it means that we are denying the power of God, right? Or in a, another way, we're saying the power of God is us, in us. We are God is another way. And that leads to a spiritual, spiritual death right away. Um, you guys remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? You, you lied to the Holy Spirit. What did God do? Took him right out. Right? And then commentators say there's also some sins that lead to immediate physical death. And I was thinking through this, and I said, well, how does this work? Well, you know, if you live a lifestyle of sin, there's sometimes where you can get yourselves into situations where you can lose your life right away. Amen? If you notice driving on the 5 like I was last night about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning— you see those signs that say, drive sober, right? Don't drive drunk. Things of that nature is what got me thinking about this. There are sins that we can involve ourselves in that can lead immediately to a physical death as well, all right? So I think those are some of the things that we can look at to say, well, that's what John here might mean when he talks about things leading to death. So as I close this morning, got two verses. Why do we tell all this? Well, we're going to tie it all together here, so bear with me. Next two verses... Verse number 19, go to that next slide, Mike. 
and then we'll go to 21 after this and then I'll close. Scripture says here as we finish off this entire study, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world, look at this, is under the control of the evil one. Do you believe that? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. You know, this is Satan's playground right here, this world. And the scripture says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But children of God, we, we don't find ourselves in that situation. Remember, that's what John is saying to this Gentile audience. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Stay away from the world. Don't love the world because the world is polluted and contaminated by Satan's trickery. And then he leaves us with verse number 21, which I find so interesting that this is the end of his epistle. This is how he ends the letter. Not like, hey, it was good talking to y'all. We'll see you next time in Corinth, right? He doesn't say that. Or hope to see you at the next potluck, right? That's not what he says. Or I'm praying for you, Godspeed. That's not what he says. This is how he ends chapter 5. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. Not even sign Paul, right? Just keep yourselves from idols. So what I want to close with as we think about the words of John, the Apostle John, is, as we close, how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves from idols? Because that will keep us in faith, keep us purified, and keep us connected with all the things that John talks about in, in his epistle of 1 John. Three items, and then I'll step down. So these are some action items that you can work on or kind of complete this week or ponder this week as, as we close. So how do we stay idol-free? Right? How do we stay idol-free? American Idol's going off, so that's one way, amen. But how do we remain idol-free? Well, I think one way that we can remain idol-free is by making sure that we fast often. And that's hard to talk about, especially during Thanksgiving, right? That just doesn't seem right, right? We've got to fast. And I wish that was a spiritual discipline that we practice more as a church. We don't fast often enough. And I think throughout Scripture, we see some spiritual disciplines. We see prayer. We see giving, we see, and one of those big ones is fasting. How often do we fast? I think we need to fast often as a church. And I'm not only talking about abstaining from food, right? Which does help us because, you, you know, when you fast, there's something that goes on with you. And it helps you become more reliant on God and you're not worried about other things, right? There's something powerful about fasting. But we can fast from things that take up our time often, right? Some of us need to do a technology fast, amen? Right? Some of us do, need to do a Fox News fast, amen? Okay, some of us need, some of y'all, right? Some of us need to do a fast from some things to give it up. Because idols, they're all over the place and they take up our time. So we have to learn to give things up. Just turn it off. Let it go. And that helps us to remain idol free. Technology, cell phone. Don't you wish you, don't you tell your kids to put the phone away, Right? I took the kids to the basketball game and they were looking at the game through their phone and taking self, you know, put the thing away, right? Let it go. We got to fast. We got to give up some things. What else can we do to remain idol free? We have to make sure we're, we're huge givers. And this is a wonderful time of year because we're thinking about giving, right? For those of you that celebrate Christmas, others here do not do that holiday. I completely understand. But wherever you are, this is a good time of year to, to give, right? And you notice when you give, you don't give things that are meaningless or unimportant. Do you know a re-gifter here this morning? Do you, do you have any re-gifters in your family? 
Okay, you don't have to put them on blast, but I got a couple in my family and I know. And I know who they are, right? Because I gave them the gift two years prior and then they wrap it up and give it back to me. I say, that's the gift that I gave you. <laughs> You're re-gifting, right? So when you give, you give something that is important, that is meaningful, right? We just don't give aimlessly and just don't. We think through the process of giving, right? That's what my wife wants from me. Jason, you need to think about the gifts that you're going to give me. Make it special, right? You better put some effort into that, right? So when it comes to giving, I think that's the type of people we need to be. We need to think through the process and give to others in meaningful, powerful ways, right? And then lastly, what's another way to remain idol-free? Make sure you stay connected to God through worship. Stay connected to God through worship. You know what I notice is when people start getting off on a tangent or going in the wrong direction, the first thing that they do is they stop attending worship. You notice that? That's the first thing that they cut out of their lives. They stop attending worship. There's something so powerful about worship because when we come to worship, it lets us know that God deserves all of this. God deserves it all. And I think those are a couple of, couple of ways to remain idol-free during this holiday season. <laughs> Man. As we close this morning, I, I want to uh, say thank you for your attentiveness during this series. I hope the series is blessed and benefit you. And I think John's words are so important to where we find ourselves uh, today. And now as we transition and we start thinking about this second coming, the arrival of Jesus during this Advent season, I think this would be a wonderful time for you to invite your friends, your families, members and your neighbors to this church because I think they'll be blessed through, through what we do here. By way of invitation, if there is someone here that needs to come forward for prayer or finds themselves falling short in some way, we invite you to come. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We've got to bless you and restore you and get you to a place where you need to be. This morning, if you're not a Christian, your faith is super, super important to getting through the difficulties of this world. If you're not a Christian, you ought to become one today. And the way you do that is you'll come forward, you'll, we'll, we'll take your confession, we'll baptize you in water, you can be added to the kingdom, and God will be right there with you to help you through whatever problems or difficulties or struggles that you're going through. Whatever your needs or concerns are this morning, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation. For all